0: Well, let's look again at the first two verses of the book of Joshua, the verses that Jerry read for us at the start of the service. It says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them To the sons of Israel. Well, this week we will consider verse 1. Next week we will pick up at verse 2. And uh, I assure you that I'm not setting the pace today for how the whole series will go, okay? (laughs) This won't be a 40 year series in the book of Joshua. But what we need to do is understand who this man is. This man Joshua just appears to us in this book, it seems, this book named after him. And here he is in verse 1, the Lord speaking to him. Well, how did he get to this place? We actually have so much to see as God had prepared this leader through many years, decades in fact, through many different events. And you might notice here in verse 1 that he's just simply referred to as Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, some of you have thought that nuns couldn't have sons. Well, here you go, Joshua, the son of Nun. And and we know nothing of none. We know none about none. <laughs> uh, there's just nothing that we know about him. And in fact, his legacy is that he was Joshua's dad, you could say, right? Uh, he is the father of Joshua, and that's about all we know. Yet again, uh, we know that Joshua didn't just appear here. His involvement in Israel did not begin here. He has had years of preparation. And Joshua's story, I hope we'll see together today, that Joshua's story up to this time testifies to the sovereignty and the patience and the closeness of God. I hope that we'll see that together as we look through these events in Joshua's life. And let's start by turning to Exodus 17, all the way back in the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 17. I want us to see more of and understand more about the God we serve. And we'll start by looking at God's power. In Exodus chapter 17, we will see some of God's power. And we're catching Israel at a very interesting time in Exodus 17. This is after the Red Sea event. So after God had parted the Red Sea and Israel came through safely. Yet this is before Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. We're in between those events. And these are some interesting chapters in the book of Exodus. And we're catching the nation of Israel traveling out of Egypt. They're out of Egypt now, and and they're on their way to the land of Canaan, the land that God is going to give to them. And we quickly discover here that early on in Israel's Exodus, Joshua was a key figure. He was a key leader in Israel. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Exodus 17 Verse 8, it says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Let's just stop right there. This is Joshua's first appearance in the Bible. This is appearance numero uno, number one. It's a very abrupt appearance as Moses' aid. He shows up on the scene, just seemingly out of nowhere, as the assistant to Moses. And what could we know about Joshua? Well, I will submit to you that there's a lot that we can know about Joshua just from this verse and a half we looked at. Consider his background. To get to this point in Israel, he had to be with them all the way, right? He was with them in Egypt and came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. You know what this means is that Joshua is a man acquainted with slavery. Now, he was a young man at this time, and depending on which commentator you read, you can come, with a, uh, come up with your own deduction, I guess, of his age. But he was acquainted with slavery. None of us are acquainted with slavery. We just don't understand that. And Joshua experienced that firsthand. And you know what we're learning here in verse 9? Joshua is about to be a man closely acquainted with war. This is Israel's first battle. This is the the first encounter that Israel has has experienced where they're being attacked by someone else. And Moses turns to Joshua. He turns to Joshua and says, You go, look at verse 9 again, Go choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. What a tall order. A man who was a slave, now he's the leader of the battle for Israel. He had seen and experienced many things. He was about to experience much, much more. He, of course, had experienced many miracles. The capstone miracle being the crossing of the Red Sea. He walked across. He experienced that. And up until this time in the book of Exodus, since they left Egypt... It wasn't just the crossing of the Red Sea, but God was providing manna from heaven. God was providing meat for them to eat. God made water come out of a rock. He was experiencing all sorts of miracles and learning so much about God's power, His power to provide for His people. And He was privy to the experiences of His mentor, Moses. And we're going to see more of that here this morning. Not only was Joshua seeing these things for himself, but God did amazing things in Moses' life. And Joshua was privy to those experiences as Moses' assistant. Well, Joshua is about to learn afresh here in this instance that it's God's power alone that gives success. Let's keep reading. In the middle of verse 9, Moses says to Joshua, "'Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill "'with the staff of God in my hand. "'Joshua did as Moses told him "'and fought against Amalek. "'And Moses, Aaron, and Hur,' Went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Well, when God puts his people in different situations, he sees them through it, doesn't he? Here Moses is in an interesting situation, 80 years old and holding his hands up with the staff in his hand. Your arms get tired pretty quickly, don't they? Especially at 80 years old, huh? Can some of you confirm this? <laughs> arms get tired, and so they put a rock under him and then they they go and they help his hands stay up in the air. And when God puts His people in difficult situations, He is right there seeing them through it, and He's teaching them. What are they learning in this circumstance, this amazing first battle for Israel? Well, God was certainly using these leaders, Moses and Joshua, but what was He teaching them? Well, He was teaching them that it's His power through them that makes them successful. It's God's power through His leaders that makes the nation successful. It's not the leaders on their own, but it's God sustaining the leaders. Even Amalek was learning this. The Amalekites were were learning that God is a man of war, as it says in Exodus 15. God is a warrior, Exodus 15 says. And here God is demonstrating His great ability to fight and to cause His people to prevail. Think about the Red Sea event and how that's different than this event with the Amalekites. In the Red Sea, you had Israel in conflict with a nation. They were in conflict with Egypt. And yet, how were the Egyptians wiped out? Through a very miraculous event. It was God 100% of the way, wasn't it? God cleared a path in the Red Sea and He caused the Red Sea to come back together and the Egyptians were wiped out, all of them. Well, now the sword is in Joshua's hand. God has put the sword in Joshua's hand, and he's been told, go out and fight. That doesn't mean that God has left him. But now, God's power is being demonstrated directly through Joshua. It's not so much a miraculous event as it is just amazing reality that God sustains His leaders. God sustains His people. God gives His people power to be successful for His glory in this life. And I think that's a lesson we can take with us, isn't it? that it's God through us. It's never us on our own, but this is God's power. Clearly, this is God's doing. He's in charge of success, and His people are to rely on Him. Let's look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this, this this victory in battle, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. Now, of course, this will be recited to more and more people. In fact, we read this book now, right? We read the book, and it's kept for us. But look how specifically God says, Joshua needs to hear this. Joshua is going to be the next leader after Moses. Joshua is the one who's leading Israel in battle. Recite it to Joshua, God says, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. The record was to be preserved for Joshua's sake. And here Joshua was given a promise to hang on to from God himself. God is going to give you success. Rely on God. Trust in the promises of God. Trust in the power of God. Well, the next lesson we see in the text that Joshua learns is the presence of God, not just the power of God, but the presence of God. You can flip with me through the book of Exodus and look over chapter 24. This is where Joshua goes with Moses up to Mount Sinai. And there were others that joined them. There were other elders and, of course, Aaron And they were going up the mountain, but Joshua was the only one who was able to go with Moses all the way up to the presence of the Lord. And he experienced a closeness of the presence of God that the other men did not get to experience. And he was there with Moses. This is where Moses receives the tablets of stone. Very important moment in Israel's history. And he was with him on this mountain all the way until chapter 32. Keep flipping forward and see that perhaps the title in your Bible for chapter 32 says, The Golden Calf. This is where Joshua and Moses were coming down off Mount Sinai from this amazing experience in the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Joshua says, it sounds like war in the camp. Remember Joshua saying that? That was Joshua who said it. Now, he's a man who's now acquainted with some war, isn't he? And he, it sounds like war, but it was the false worship, the idolatrous worship of God's people as Aaron had made a golden calf and the people were worshiping this idol. And Joshua was right there when Moses reacted, when he slammed down the tablets of stone. His assistant Joshua was standing right there. Well, then you have this interaction between Moses and the Lord, and Moses is interceding for the people of Israel. And we kind of move on past the golden calf event. And I want us to look together in Exodus 33, verse 7. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7. Because That experience on Mount Sinai where Moses received the tablets, that wasn't the only time that Moses experienced the closeness of God, the presence of God. Look at what it says in verse 7 of Exodus 33. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, "...that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Then the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face." Just as a man speaks to his friend, when Moses returned to the camp, look at this, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. See what I mean about Joshua being privy to certain experiences? Joshua was able to go and be there as the pillar of cloud came, and he was able to bask in this very intimate presence of God that other men weren't able to experience. Joshua here was beginning to be personally guided by God. He would, of course, need God's personal guidance in his life, and he was experiencing it. Moses would not always be there for Joshua. This mentor that Joshua, I'm sure, had leaned on in so many different situations, asking Moses what to do, getting advice from Moses. Well, Moses wouldn't always be there for Joshua, but Yahweh would. The God of Israel would always be there for Joshua He had this intimate learning in preparation for leadership, and he he has many life events to follow after this, that he's going to experience God more and more deeply. A major element of Joshua's preparation was experiencing the presence of God in an intimate way. In fact, it's very interesting, when you go to the end of Moses' life, when Moses is about to die, Moses and Joshua have this moment with God one more time. Just as Moses used to go out and pitch his tent and the pillar of cloud would descend and God would speak, Yahweh would speak, it happens one last time at the end of Moses' life where Moses and Joshua together as mentor and mentee one more time, they come out and they hear from God. What a sweet, sweet moment. Almost like bookends where you have it happening when Joshua was a young man and then at the very end of Moses' life. Well, from there, we see another lesson. This one's short, but it's important. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, where Joshua is going to learn God's prerogative, God's choice, God's option. In Numbers chapter 11, there are 70 prophets being chosen. God told Moses to go out and select elders from Israel And out of these 70 elders, God says He's going to put some of His Spirit on them. And what happens is they receive His Spirit and they begin to prophesy as a sign of receiving God's Spirit. They are to go outside the camp to the tabernacle for a special working of God. They are going to be Moses' helpers. Moses is now going to have a team of 70 that's going to help him, and they're going to have the Spirit. So let's pick up in the middle of that narrative in Numbers 11, verse 24. Verse 24 of Numbers chapter 11. It says, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him on the seventy elders. When the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. Verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. On Father's Day, you had Eldad and Medad. (laughs) And the Spirit rested upon them. Parentheses. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Verse 28, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and and the elders of Israel. Well, this is a very important lesson that all leaders must learn. God does things God's way. Joshua here was learning that God does things God's way, not Joshua's way. To Joshua, when he gets this report from a young man, there are two men who are in the camp who are prophesying. The instructions were, go out to the camp, or go go outside the camp and go, go to the tent. What are two men doing in the camp prophesying? Well, this is God's prerogative, isn't it? This is God's choice. This was God's option to cause this to happen. And perhaps Moses was right in in thinking, Joshua, are you getting jealous thinking that their prominence, these two men in the camp, their prominence is going to overshadow mine while we're away? That people will start listening to them instead of me? are you jealous for my sake? He's correcting Joshua. He's saying, let's let's think about what the Lord is doing and celebrate that they have the Spirit and are prophesying. Joshua had to learn this very simple yet profound, at the same time, lesson, that God does things God's way, and it's His prerogative. He doesn't listen to our man-made rules, does he? Well, perhaps Joshua's most famous incident comes just two chapters later. Turn to chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. The heading of my Bible says, The Spies in the Land. And perhaps you've learned the song, Twelve Went Out to Spy on Canaan, Ten Were Bad, and... Okay, Sunday school teachers, you just learned... We have a song to teach, everybody. <laughs> uh, ten were bad and two were good. So let's, uh, w- let's teach all the adults in here. Maybe we can have a special kids-adult Sunday school class combination where the kids can teach the adults the songs. That would be fun. Twelve went out to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Okay, that's what you need to know. And one of those two spies who were good was Joshua. Joshua was one of the two spies. And what's going on in Numbers 13 is the Lord says, Send twelve men out a representative from each of the tribes of Israel, go to this land that I am giving Israel, have them spy it out and see what this land is like, and then have them come back and give a report to the rest of the nation. So Joshua, who's of the tribe of Ephraim, he goes out with the rest of the men, and they're spying for 40 days. They're spying on the land. And this gives them plenty of time to discover all sorts of things. They come back into the camp of Israel, and they say, what God said is absolutely right. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back some fruit. It's like those big globe grapes that, you know, they're injecting with some sort of steroid in the factory where they make those things and they're holding them up and they're saying, look at these grapes. Isn't this amazing? It is an amazing land. But it's scary to to go there. The ten spies, bad ones, they say... God was right about it being a good land, but I don't know if God was right about us being able to enter the land. And Caleb, who was the other good spy, says, whoa, 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 let's do this. We can do this. By God's power, we can go and we can claim this land for our own. And they said, don't listen to Caleb. We will die. Let's pick it up in chapter 14, verse 1. In the middle of this argument, in the middle of this conflict, As the people hear the report from the ten bad spies, look at what they say. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, "'Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword?' Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Oh, this is a horrible demonstration of what it should be like among God's people. Can you imagine being in the camp of Israel and after God had parted the Red Sea, after God had dropped wafers from heaven, He had given them quail, He made water come out of a rock, Moses raised His arms and they defeated the Amalekites, and over and over and over again God is demonstrating His great love and power and compassion and grace and His ability to be faithful to all of His promises. And then the people of Israel say, Let's appoint a leader besides God's leader and go back into slavery away from the land that God said is ours. As a pastor, that hurts. I hope as any Christian, that hurts. This is lack of faith. This is utter unbelief. Oh, Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we had passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, Then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting, To all the sons of Israel. Well, Joshua is learning something about God's promise here, isn't he? Remember, this is God preparing Joshua for leadership in Israel. And he's learning something about the promises of God. Joshua, along with Caleb, they were clinging to God's promises, even when that meant they had to cling alone. Think how many people were in Israel at this time. There were many, countless people in Israel. And there were two besides Moses and Aaron. There were two saying, let's go forward. Countless people were saying, let's go back. Even against the majority opinion, Joshua and Caleb were clinging to God's promises. They had to stand against the democracy majority, even their own kinsmen, who were calling for them to be killed. And yet they're clinging to God's promises. Can you imagine a sea of countless people saying, we're going to kill you if you keep saying we should believe God. Well, Joshua and Caleb had to have a backbone there, didn't they? Joshua had to learn what it meant to stand for God, even when that meant standing alone. The ten spies who were bad, they had faith that God had saved, but they did not have faith that God would save. They, of course, believed that He brought them through the Red Sea. They lived it. But they had no faith that God would bring them across the Jordan. No faith. And this, of course, greatly displeased God. You see, God's promises aren't merely to be acknowledged. God's promises are to be believed. And that affects what we do. That affects how we live. The ten spies and the rest of Israel had no faith. You cannot enjoy the promises of God, namely rest, without faith. You know, God has promised you rest too. We're going to see this a lot in the book of Joshua. You cannot enjoy God's rest without faith. It just can't happen. And for this generation, they weren't going to get to rest in the land because of this moment. This is a watershed moment in Israel. Because of their lack of faith, they weren't going to enter the land save Joshua and Caleb because they had faith. Rejecting God's promise results in chastisement, a disciplined nation Israel had now become. They were going to be disciplined by God for decades. They've only been outside of Egypt a little over a year. But this is the start of 40 years in the wilderness, isn't it, for this nation? Because they would not cling to the promises of God. So now Joshua's not only learning about God's promise, he's learning about God's prohibition. He's prohibiting a whole generation from promised rest. Joshua heard and experienced God's righteous judgment firsthand. He heard from from Yahweh saying, this generation will not enter. That is a strong judgment. And he heard it with his own ears. And then for the next four decades, he's seeing bodies drop all around him in the wilderness. Funerals all the time. Corpses all around. Because we're talking about countless people in a vast wilderness encamped together, but they all know everyone of this generation has to die except for Joshua and Caleb. And with each death, I think Joshua was becoming more and more of a leader. He was becoming more and more recognized as the one who was going to lead Israel. His competition was dying off. And he was going to be standing with Caleb once again alone. Well, it all started with the Amalekites that God does not tolerate rebellion. And now Joshua is seeing it With his own kinsmen. The death of the rebellious is a major theme in the book of Joshua. And I want you to get acquainted with it outside of the book of Joshua here today, and even among Israelites. God does not tolerate rebellion. And here with Israel, He's giving them a very vivid picture. He's giving them very deep life experiences to teach them that He does not tolerate rebellion. Every member of that generation dying off was a reminder that God does not tolerate evil in and among His people. Look again in Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 28. This is His clear pronouncement. God says to Moses and to Aaron, "'Say to them, the people, "'As I live,' says the Lord, "'just as you have spoken in my hearing.'" So I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in. And they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition." I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. God does not tolerate rebellion. And this is a major portion of Joshua's life. Forty years is a long time. And this is a portion of his life where he's being prepared by God for his leadership going into the land to fight against those who rebel against God. Well, these 40 years led to an official torch passing as these bodies died one by one. These people passed away one by one. We eventually come to the end of Deuteronomy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Oh, Numbers 27. Let's do Numbers 27 before we get to Deuteronomy. In Numbers chapter 27, we see an official torch passing of sorts, where it is now time for Joshua to take up the mantle. Moses, of course, wasn't going to enter the promised land either. That's for a separate event. That was when he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And because of his disobedience, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. And we see Moses is getting ready to die, and God is making things official by making Joshua the leader among the people. Let's start at verse 18, Numbers 27, verse 18. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him." Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as the Lord had spoken." through Moses. Well, God had been leading to this moment all along from the time in Egypt through the Exodus, the time on Mount Sinai, the 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua was being prepared for this very moment. Joshua was always God's choice. And God gave official capacity to Joshua through an official ceremony here. And he was given a specific charge. He was to press forward. Joshua was to press forward courageously to take the land for the Lord. And he was to do this without his mentor, Moses. He's about to say goodbye to Moses for the last time. And for any of you who have been mentored by somebody or have been close to somebody, when that person is about to die, it cuts deeply, doesn't it? You feel it very deeply. And Joshua Surely, being a human, a fallen human being, was tempted to be scared. Over and over and over again, from Moses' mouth and from God's mouth directly, Joshua is told, Do not fear. Be strong and be courageous. He, of course, had some big shoes to fill. Moses is the most prominent non-divine person in the Bible, more prominent than than the Apostle Paul. I mean, you look at the experiences that Moses had and the amount of the Bible that Moses' teaching and his experiences take up. I mean, Moses is a very prominent figure. And Joshua is to follow him? Really? After all that Moses went through, it took him so long to become established as a leader for the people to accept him as a leader. And Joshua had to wonder, are they really going to accept me? Well, it it takes... A few events, but in chapter four of Joshua, the people finally come around, and we'll get to that eventually. But let's look at the end of Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy 31, this is the last passage you'll turn to today. Deuteronomy 31, verses one through eight. And this is after Moses reiterates the law. Deuteronomy means like uh, the law again, basically. He gives the law again to a new generation that's going to be going into the promised land. And that's his last big act. And he's about to die. And he gives his last counsel now to Joshua. Deuteronomy 31, starting at verse 1. It says, So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Happy birthday! (laughs) I am no longer able to come and go, and the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Verse 7, Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. What an amazing moment that had to be in Israel. Joshua was prepared by the Lord himself, and this was an official moment. A sweet moment. One commentator summarized Moses' ministry as the meditation of the law on Mount Sinai. A lot of Moses' ministry was just being alone with God, wasn't it? Sitting there with God, receiving the law, receiving the teaching, and basking in the presence of God. Well, Joshua's ministry is now going to be taking that law, receiving that law from Moses, and succeeding as a leader of the nation through obedience to that law. Succeeding by believing the promises of God and relying on the strength that God provides. Really believing, not just acknowledging, but really believing that it is the Lord who goes before him, who does not fail. This promise here that we see in this passage was one of God's presence and God's power. Joshua has had so many experiences, but now he's being promised You will continue to experience the power of God. You will continue to experience the presence of God. Therefore, have strength. Be strengthened by God. Be encouraged and go boldly. And then he learns one last, final, important lesson in reality. Moses was not indispensable. I love Francis Schaeffer's commentary so far on the book of Joshua. And he makes clear That Moses was unique, like every man is unique. But no one is indispensable. Joshua now is taking the place of Moses, and he didn't need Moses. He only needed the Lord. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, you can turn there if you want, but I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 34, 9, it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Again, Joshua had big shoes to fill. I think about my pastorate here and following Lee. who was here for 27 years. It's a little daunting when someone's been somewhere multiple decades. I can't imagine following Moses, being the next guy after Moses. In fact, in the book of Joshua alone, this is Joshua's book, not Moses' book, Joshua's book. Moses is mentioned over 50 times. He had a legacy, didn't he, that carried on from generation to generation. And again, it took the people some time to come around on this, but they eventually did. And the river Jordan was a lot like the Red Sea. As Moses led the people across that sea, Joshua going to lead this next generation across the Jordan And he will get an explicit confirmation from the people that they see him as their leader. I find very interesting that Joshua is on his way to being known as the servant of the Lord. One thing you'll see when you study the life of Moses through the first five books of the Bible is that Moses is often called the servant of the Lord. Moses, the Lord's servant, or Moses, Moses, the servant of God, however it's phrased. You see it several times. Well, Joshua doesn't get that title. Until the very last chapter of Joshua, shortly before Joshua's death, the first time, and I think maybe the only time, Joshua is referred to as the servant of the Lord. And that's really what leadership is, isn't it? He's on his way to becoming the leader in Israel. He is the leader, and he's going to experience all sorts of things that will confirm that fact, but he's becoming more and more of a servant, isn't he? That's the life of Joshua. Well, let me give you a theme for the book. If you're taking notes, you have a few blanks at the bottom. Let me give you a theme for the book of Joshua that we can keep with us as we study this book starting next week, really. Yahweh keeps His promises by powerfully saving His people through faith and purging the evil among them. Therefore, we shall courageously follow Him into blessing. I'll read it again. Yahweh keeps His promises by powerfully saving His people through faith and purging the evil among them. Therefore, we shall courageously follow Him into blessing. As you consider what Joshua experienced, God's power, God's presence, God's promise, we have experienced those things in our lives too, haven't we? In a much different way than Joshua, and that's okay to say, but in a way that that isn't any different in its depth. We have experienced the power of God that Joshua was not able to experience. We've been able to experience the presence of God that Joshua was not able to experience. We have received This pronouncement from God that Joshua did not receive. As members of a new covenant where God Himself has come, a second Joshua, Jesus Christ, has come and walked this earth as the perfect man, died in our place for our sins, and rose again. God's power is on display as He has disarmed all the rulers and authorities in this present age. And He has wiped away all of our sin, He's cleaned the slate forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. And He's given us the very righteousness of God as evidenced by the down payment, the Holy Spirit who is the presence of God, dwelling within us as new temples. And He's given us the promise that no one can take away. It's not conditional in any sense. The promise that we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? And so as we study the book of Joshua, we will see these themes, but let us never lose sight that we've lived these themes, because God has said we are His. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank You so much. You are the faithful one. You are the powerful one. You are the gracious one. And You have done amazing works in the lives of Your people since the beginning of time. And we thank you for what you've done among us. We ask that we would see more of your power, that we would experience more of your presence, that we would understand more of your promises and cling to them as we've been called to do, knowing that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the hope that we have and for this kingdom that's unshakable that there is no threat on your kingdom, because we have the victory in Jesus. We ask again that you would bless this study through the book of Joshua, and as we go on week by week, that you would give us more insight into who you are, into how you show us your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.